Bravely she started afresh on the fatal line at the end of which the toad had appeared. An awful silence succeeded the uproar. Again Carlotta's voice filled the house. I feel without alarm. The toad also had started afresh. The house broke into a wild tumult. The two managers collapsed in their chairs and dared not even turn round. They had not the strength, for the ghost was chuckling behind their backs. They distinctly heard his mouthless voice saying in their ears, Run! So, okay, we're here, you know, she has struggled, and by she, I mean all of us, but we're going to heal, we're going to rebuild. First of all, we're going to check in with Kara. Have have you happened to see Phantom of the Opera lately? I'm not sure. I just wanted to, like, check in with you about... Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I, I did have a bit of a hiatus there. I didn't go for two months, but I did go on Thursday, January 26th. Okay. To the 35th anniversary of the Phantom of the Opera. Went with a couple friends. It was really, I mean, did you it cry? was really good. Uh, I did cry. I would have cried. At the, I, I got, like, sad at the beginning. And then right. I think, uh, like, uh, Raquel Suarez Groen, who is the amazing Carlotta... She's she, She's like, so was just crushing it, and I just, like, turned to my friend, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I just knew in my heart. But then um, Emily Kowachu's Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again was so good that, literally, I've never heard. I, I went to the opening night when they reopened from Broadway, and the energy there was, like, really, really crazy. Like, but this, the energy of this, like, Thursday night audience was so crazy. It was the longest, like, ovation for Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again that I've ever heard and, like, absolutely deserved. And I was just, like, sometimes, like, wishing doesn't hit. And then sometimes I'm, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very <laughs> upsetting to me. Right, like, many people are saying this wishing from Emily was just off the charts. And, I mean, she... Let's start right now with things to link to in the show notes. She did, I forget where she performed it. You can watch it. She's in her civilian clothing. It's like in the wind and rain. And yes. this is this is a woman who can bring us an incredible wishing. But so would you say it was along those lines, but like live and even more powerful? It was really good. I think she knew she had to bring it. A friend of the pod, Andrew Lloyd Webber, was in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, obviously, you got to sing when the guy. Can't wait to have him on. Can't wait to have him on. Uh, He definitely won't get us shut down. Um, Yeah, we didn't know. Because, like, again, I went to the opening night. The producers were there, and Andrew Lloyd Webber came on stage, and everyone talked. Chuck Schumer was there. Like, there were, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda was there. It was very bizarre. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Chuck Schumer was very, like, trying to get political points for reopening Broadway. Um. Boy, between the Swifty involvement and the Phantom involvement, these senators are out here. The senators are doing it for me. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this time it wasn't that. It wasn't like a red carpet event. I thought it was going to be. I did look amazing and I do just want the record to show that. Um, oh, I've seen pictures. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, we need to get to it, but um, 
you know, we're, we try to be a, a space of positivity. Everyone at the Majestic works super hard. However, I'd like to discuss something um, brought to my attention by the official Phantom of the Opera social media account. They were tweeting about the beautiful, delicious-looking cocktails available at the London production. Kara, when we talk about the cocktails available at the Majestic Theater at this time, um, a couple words are coming to my mind, and they are... uh, (laughs) Bootleg, college, ass. Yeah, for some reason, the West End production is like, they have like a beautiful lobby that you can go to and like it they treat you like a human being when you go there. Well, let's just say shout out to the several front of house people who humored our clown asses when we were um asking what understudies were on in a very cool and normal manner. Uh, yes. No, every every front of house person has been amazing. So they if any of you ever nice listen, you're the real ones. No, they don't. <laughs> they should be afraid, frightened. It's crazy. Um, But if you go to the Majestic, you can get a signature cocktail that is truly Sprite and rosé. And that's disgusting. I'm sorry to the Sprite heads out there, but come on now. Shout out to the friend of the pod. You know who you are. You said that that's an adult sippy cup and you didn't say a lie. So I'm so sorry, Phantom Broadway, but the the cocktails situation honestly might be why the production is closing. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um... (laughs) Oh, so then briefly at the end of the production, they like brought mm-hmm. out a cake and like Ben Crawford, who plays the Phantom, like gave a speech and it was cool. And then he goes, yeah, this is our last anniversary on Broadway. The booing that happened <laughs> was so Oop. crazy. <laughs> I was like, and Andrew's Andrew's in the audience. I'm like, come on, Andrew, pull together. Fix this. Glad, glad to hear. I mean niche corner but my first christine lisa roman amazing i got to see her three times i really really wanted emily to be my last christine i got to see her three times i've simply seen the show too much but yeah um, deeply unsurprised to hear that emily really brought it but uh yeah we love to hear it and then who was on who was on as meg we do just always have to do a little meg corner vibe check of course uh sarah esty is back as meg and she's wonderful and amazing and unfortunately i've know in my heart i'm gonna like follow her career weirdly so uh it was cool and then we're not getting into moulin rouge corner again Kristen. Mm-mm. we're not because we already did spoke you... on it but i did go and see daddy you did, go to see. you did you did and it's just there's there's so much he menaced you it's it was crazy and he has nothing to lose and like he doesn't care about his like I don't want to say he doesn't care about his voice, but, like, he doesn't care. Um, And they brought a bunch of new people. I think there's new people in the ensemble who are really great and, like, the whole thing. So it was was a fun, a fun night. These chapters were fun because, again, I'm the Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme anytime it's the musical. And I don't know why I'm surprised every time. But it's so fun. It's so fun. So we're going to talk today about Chapter 7 and Chapter 8. Chapter 7 is very, very short, so we will go through that. And then we get into the audacity that is Chapter 8. Into the breach, man. This chapter, the first chapter is brisk. That first chapter is brisk. It's fun, though. It is fun. All right, so first of all, we've got Chapter 7. It's called A Visit to Box 5, and I just want to stand... Uh, David Coward slash Gaston Leroux, thank you, ADHD Kings, because he reminds us where we left off last time. I forgot, so that is helpful. (laughs) 
Rick had Christine shook on her knees in the snow. Rick had Raul passed out. Neither of us was doing much better, nor were any of the readers. He had to bring us back into the HR nightmare that is the personal. Yeah, he's like, I know you guys are clamoring for how the staff meetings are going at this place. And it's not great. Also, we will get to it, but it is, I just want to say now before I forget, like, deeply funny how visibly shaken Raul is weeks later. Whatever time period it is now, he's just like, he's different. He's changed. He's shaken. Yeah, Raul is shaken. The description of the vibes as they head into Box 5 is so dramatic. It's like the entire crew had temporarily vacated the stage, leaving the set partially erected. A few shafts of light was pale and sinister and might have been stolen from a dying star. Okay, go off! Richard and Malcharmon were shipwrecked victims of the frozen chaos of a canvas sea. They struck out strongly towards the boxes on the left, like sailors who have abandoned ship and make for the shore. That is the most dramatic way I've ever heard anyone say they went out of their office and went to an opera box. Like, what? It's like, it's not giving, like, Charles Dickens clearly being paid by the word, blah, blah, blah. But it's like Gaston Leroux was like, okay, they have to get to box five. I did just take a writer's workshop last week and, like, we were working on imagery and I just wanted to, like, play around with it, even though I haven't really been doing it this whole time. I wrote they got high before this about them exploring mm. the box five mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i'm thinking as i'm reading this i'm like do we know guest on the road didn't just get high before writing this i hope so i love it yes so they're going to box. literally all they're doing is the managers are going to go investigate box five and we get yep. this like labyrinthian creepy description i love it i do want to point out that you know it's it's silent in the in the opera house because it's the quote quiet hour when the stagehands go off for a drink and i would just like to formally bring that to my workplace and maybe all workplaces where you just get a nice like midday go out for a drink and come back kind of thing for some reason and i'm so sorry the way you said silence right there reminded me of one of okay a Doctor Who episode that I had to sleep with the lights on after watching <gasps> at the big age of like 30. And that episode was Silence in the Library. So <gasps> I just want to shout yes. out Gaston Leroux, like chilled, truly chilled to the bone in the most fun way. So creepy watching that episode. And this is, this isn't not setting that vibe. I don't know. Is that the Hey Who Turned Off the Lights one? Yes. Where you meet River Song? Oh man. Hell yeah. That was great. That one, the Are You My Mommy one, and the, the first Sweeping Angels one. Yeah, we're sleeping with the lights on. The amount of um, connections to the extended Rickverse that's in Doctor Who, that's got to be a side quest episode. But, oh my god. But yeah, no, that's a terrifying energy, and it is present in the opera house as these men are walking to Box 5. Yeah, so they're shipwrecked victims of the frozen chaos of the sea. They're walking, they're walking, they're walking. And yeah. then... We get a little description of the opera house. We do have to shout this out because enemy of the pod, Isis, is sighted. <laughs> and Isis is my cat's name. Yes. Um, she's she's furious at all times. She simply cannot stand Phantom of the Opera. I was watching Sweeney Todd last week and she ran in to be part of that experience. Oh, um, she just loves Sondheim and hates Andrew Lloyd Webber. She's like, Andrew Lloyd Webber has cheapened the, the art. Yeah, she's... She's like a film, like a Twitter film critic bro, but for musical theater. And also she's not on Twitter because she's a cat. But, you know, yeah. and that she's made like, sense. It's and we will definitely, 
keep that in. But I love how like preemptively, whichever one's talking is like, now listen, we were, yes, we're idiots, but it's because we were. So in the past, we've talked about everyone's blaming everything on Rick. They are preemptively blaming how ridiculous they're being on Rick. But are they not absolutely right to do it in this instance? Like he has them shut. Yeah. And we'll get I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get into the man who is like, don't call me ridiculous. And we stand. Uh, yeah. So there's all this like art going on. Uh, there's all these gods and goddesses and Isis, the cat and not Isis, the goddess of fertility. And they're all just looking down on him. I'm just reading the description of them staring really closely at it. No, these men are high. They're staring at a chair like something's going to happen. I know. So I love that Moncharmon wrote his autobiography, Spare. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because he's the spare manager. (laughs) Definitely. So in Spare, he says, he's writing, you know, all that Phantom of the Opera nonsense in parentheses, such style. And then he's like, I think I saw something. And he's like, well, what did you see? And Richard is like, well, what did what did you see? And so Moncharmont saw a death's head resting on the front armrest of the box. So he's Rick's doing a little cute like, hey. And then Richard saw Madame Jerry. What's going on here? Unfortunately, I do ship them now. And then they just giggled. Yeah, they're all. No, Rick is high, too. I can't explain why I think this. But he's. He's here, he's there, he's hither and yon, he's in the walls, he's watching these two idiots stare at a chair, and then he probably doesn't wish happiness for them, we do, but I just, it's, this is just goofy. I wonder if they hotbox to the whole theater. Like, what's going on here? Because, like, <laughs> we know that Rick can do a lot of things. This seems like something he would do. Kind of nothing's happening, but I had a great time reading it. No, Rick is watching from like a peephole as they just like point at a chair and say, "Uh." yeah, so they just point at a chair. They're like, this is ridiculous. And then Richard just goes, well, let's just keep it moving. We got Faust on Saturday and we're going to, you know, watch it from the box. And you're like, great, great, great. And then LaRoe hits you with the incredible collision that is. Chapter 8, in which Messieurs Firman Richard and Armand Moncharmont have the audacity to stage Faust in an ill-fated theater with catastrophic results. Yeah, which Tex just calls it Faust and what followed. Boring. Well, Tex made some right choices in this chapter, but not with the title. The real title's good. Do you want to say anything else about Chapter 7? Nothing really happened. I, I did like that he said, the Phantom of the Opera is not real, but it is also his fault that we were upset. Love it. And yeah, as someone who likes to blame my mood on other people, (laughs) I get it. So it's Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. They have the audacity to stage Faust in an ill-fated theater with catastrophic results, and they get a, what unfortunately I have labeled as the horniest letter. Oh yeah, I just, I have a one word (laughs) note. Horny. I swear to God, I have the exact same note. It just says horny. (laughs) Like it doesn't, like no explanation needed. Him saying, so, is it to be war? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding just me? An, just marry an me An already. amazing time to remind people that we have college degrees. Um, and, and this is our lit, lit crit with Kristen and Kara. Um, literary criticism is our passion. Yes. So, yeah, so this man, th- he does come in with the crazy energy. Dear director, so it is to be war. If you still want peace, these are my terms. Are you fucking kidding? I... It's so good. 
So he says basically like, I want box five. I just have to read this whole thing because it's crazy. You do. Box five to be restored to me. I want it reserved for my exclusive use as of now. The role of Marguerite to be sung this evening by Christine Daae. Do not worry about Carlotta. She will be indisposed. Madame Jerry to be reinstated immediately. I require the excellent service of my faithful box attendant. Okay. <laughs> so he's, ba- he's back on women supporting women. He is a woman supporting women in this <laughs> non- gender neutral. Gender neutral. And uh, also, I just like, I do love that, like, I feel like Madame Jerry being fired in the course of the story was kind of like, I don't know, I already forgot that that happened. And he's like, no, this is number three on my priority list. After Christine is my girl, Madame Jerry. And then he says, well, don't worry, she's going to give me a letter. That says that you're about to pay me. I will leave instructions at a later date regarding the method by which money will be paid to me. A.K.A. I take Cash App, Venmo, and Zelle. (laughs) Failure to comply will mean that tonight's Faust will be staged in a theater that is cursed. You have been warned. P of the O. Richard says what we have said to each other too many times. Oh, this phantom business is too much. It really is. We're all in this together. .mp3. (laughs) Everyone... (laughs) everyone loves rick everyone's obsessed with rick so they're like well this is getting to be a little too much and so then we have mercier the administrator aka mark the unpaid intern and he's like hey la chanel is asking to see one of you and then the best honestly this is the most accurate part i think of the entire story which is when the ceos go who's that and they're like, he's he runs the stable. And they're like, the what? And he's like, the stable. And he's like, for what? And he's like, the horses. Why do we have horses? Are there we ho- need huh? horses <laughs> for the for the operas. This is like a real life look into uh, the conversations that happened after the 2004 movie where the horse just shows up and everyone's like, <laughs> where'd the horse come from? Because here's the thing. Rick, famously a horse girl. You know who's not a horse girl and Rick knew it immediately? These fucking guys. No, they, are they aren't horse girls. In all iterations, Rick is a horse girl. Yeah. So, yeah, they just have, like, a bunch of horses, which, like, makes sense, because, like, I mean, say what we will about the 2004 movie version of Phantom of the Opera. I really did like how there's, like, uh-huh. sheep on stage, and there's horses on stage, and they, like, put some wings on the horses. Like, that, it's a huge stage, and it makes 100% sense that they did that the in this Opera time Petting period. Zoo. Yeah. So this guy shows up and he's like a really good horse trainer and holding a riding crop in one hand, flicking his boots crossly. Incredible. Incre- this is camp. Did he work on the Britney Spears circus video? I hope so. And so they're like, so. hey, we totally knew about you and we weren't just told your job recently. And he's like, we need to get rid of all. <laughs> I have to fire all the stable hands. There's 12 horses and six stable boys, which... That's ridiculous. My sister is technically one of her jobs is being a stable hand. And I think she takes care of like five horses by herself. It's like a lot. But like once you're taking care of one horse, you just might as well take care of like a bunch of horses. But so there's a bunch of government adjacent Nepo babies that work there that like the guys like you can't fire them. They're like, I don't know, the vice president's kids or some shit. And then um Richard or Andre, I don't know, says, I'm not, no, I'm not interested in the government, Richard said. 
and that's giving I'm not political and his hinge says that he is a libertarian and they sound like fucking Sesame Street when they're talking about how many horses there are. Can these men count? We don't know. No, it's so this whole thing is so funny. So they're just like, well, there's 12 horses and he's like, well, now there's 11. Why? (laughs) Because Caesar is gone. And they're like, (laughs) and then Mark goes, oh, Caesar, the white stallion we lo- we use in Le Profete and Exposition Corner. Thank you so much. Yeah, That's... I'm like, thanks so much, Mark. <laughs> and then then they go on and on about like there's only one Caesar. And then someone blames the porter in administration, and then Mark says, I can personally vouch for that man, so now I'm uh shipping the porter in administration with Mark. It's the one time people should be blaming Rick. He's not stealing your makeup nor your office supplies. He is stealing a goddamn horse. He's committing um, Grand Theft Auto. No- <laughs> oh my god, I want a Grand Theft Auto of Rick just going around Paris on Caesar creating mayhem. But also, these people are confused about counting, so I unfortunately do imagine Rick in the walls acting like the Count from Sesame Street going, 11 horses, ah, ah, ah. Like, he would. He's corny. So yeah, so they're like, well, who could have possibly stolen this fucking horse? And this like adult man who's very put together is like, no, it it's it is the Phantom. And Richard says, not you too, which is a line from the musical. Yeah, um, it was Agatha all along, and yes, by Agatha we do mean Rick. Um, it was Agatha all along, and uh, it says, "What I saw, as plain as I see the nose on your face, was a black shadow riding a white horse that was the spitting image of Caesar." Well, and he <laughs> he rode away with like a, a swiftness and a skill, and yes. why mm. why was why was he able to do that? Because he's a horse god. He also just like he doesn't like swerve out. <laughs> into the street grand stuff auto style he's going underground which i do think is interesting because like i am a horse girl myself i'll out myself um something of a horse girl yourself i'm something of a horse girl myself and uh, <laughs> oh man and uh it's hard to uh, ride a horse like on pavement or cobblestone so i imagine like you can't go that fast going downstairs on a horse they're not made for that but he was able to do it because he's why is he taking caesar why he's built different uh so yeah so then they're like okay well we're gonna lodge an official complaint against the phantom so now it's just a fucking joke to everybody and he's gonna fire everybody who didn't stop this man and then they're like well it would be nice if we could like we got to pay him off because he's he's a huge gossip he's like he hangs out you know with all these like celebrity people and he's going to start talking shit about how like there's this phantom truly uh dog walking us <laughs> and so they're like fuck we have to like pay this guy off because he's going to tell everybody that like this is truly getting to the point where it's embarrassing he's stealing so much from us their mental process of why they have to fire this man which they say out loud is very funny incredible wait Kristen, there's there's a noise is it is it the uh workroom sound from RuPaul's Drag Race? Yes it is because Madame Jury walks in unopposed into the room. Yeah. Dun, no dun. more security. No. Yeah, once Security's again people gone. just wandering around. People who should have lost badge access, well they're just there. The badge access, they're not updating the system ever. If you've ever, ever worked at the Paris Opera House, your badge still works. The passwords are all the same and it's 1234. 
And so she shows up and she's like, I've got a note. And everyone's just like, I'm going to freak out. And then uh, Richard <laughs> goes, sees Red and just goes bananas and throws her out of the room. It gets physical. He does a very uncalled for Toby Keith boot in your ass moment. Uh, bro, Rick, the Phantom of the Opera, is not doing these violent and unpleasant behaviors. He's no. doing other shit, but what he's not doing is literally kicking people in the ass. Like, yes. Oh, me. Let's take another bong hit because this is, we need to settle down. You need to settle down a little. It's crazy. So she gets outside and she's like, and another thing. <laughs> da, 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 da. And she's cursing at the closed door, which I respect. And I think Madame Jury and I would be friends at work. Math corner, I do have to know. D- did you, how many men, how many? This is this is a word problem. How many grown men does it take to get one Madame Jury out of the Paris Opera? Apparently three. Three like bouncers have to remove her. And as two cops. Yeah, as she's making death threats, which <laughs> listen, um, we want to be a safe space. Death threats only cool when Madame Jury does them. So I think so. Then we get a little like uh you know, the screen wobbles a little bit and we get another meanwhile at da ranch carlotta who is in her apartment first of all the description of what carlotta does on a saturday morning is now my goal it's what i want for myself she is yeah. sitting in bed she has bed. a tray there's hot chocolate on it and she's just doing her little tasks and someone's waiting on her and the specificity of the hot chocolate pleasing to me yes oh my god so then she gets uh un- unfortunately just wrote horny again oh me too <laughs> if you appear tonight be warned that something very unpleasant will happen when you open your mouth <laughs> and it will be a fate worse than death <laughs> i've definitely oh no my note is actually i think i've read this fic before <laughs> Because I famously don't talk enough on this podcast, I'd just like to take this moment to say I felt really seen by Carlotta being too upset to finish her food after this. Carlotta also not able to eat her bread bowl. Not able to eat her bread bowl. Um, Nor her hot chocolate. She's suffering. Nor her hot chocolate. And she's like, fuck this. I like this wasn't the first of its first letter of its kind that she's received, but she'd never had gotten one so threatening. So I like that she does like she she is getting like her Instagram comments are like half and half nice and mean. She Rick is built different and that's coming through even via the written word. And it's not just because his handwriting is busted. Um, I love his red ink. Oh, her her name is in red underline, but she it says she pushed away her steaming hot chocolate, sat up in her bed, and thought deeply. And I'm just thank you, Gaston and David Coward. I'm really visualizing it. And so then, so then she's like, "Well, you know," she literally says, "Haters gonna hate, 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 hate." And she's like, "Great, um, someone is hatching some devious plot. Uh, you know, there's a group of people plotting against her." And she's like, whatever. It's a day ending in Y for me. Of course, there's haters coming for my gig. Gonna keep it moving. And she goes, well, you know who's doing this? Fucking Christine. And then <laughs> LaRoe says, well, if anyone's hating on anyone, it's Carlotta against Christine. Um, and she's... <sighs> women not supporting women. No, it's okay. I would also be annoyed. 
Eric is not doing Christine any favors here. Like, he's not being a great advocate for his wife. I'm just saying. He's turning people against her. Exactly. Uh, It says, she had not forgiven Christine for the success she had scored when she stood in for her as a last-minute replacement. When she'd been told about the extraordinary reception her understudy had been given, La Carlotta had been instantly cured, both of an incipient attack of bronchitis and a fit of the sulks directed at the management. It is iconic. (laughs) I love her. Thereafter, she gave no indication that she had any intention of terminating her contract. She had striven with all her might to cut out her rival by persuading powerful friends to use their influence with the directors to ensure that Christine was given no further opportunities for fresh triumphs. Certain newspapers had begun to rave about Christine's talent, now wrote only of the glorious gifts of La Carlotta. Not least, when they met in the theater, the famous diva said the most outrageous things about Christine and did everything she could to make her life unpleasant for her. She said, burn book. She said, do not trust this girl. She is a fugly slut. No, I also just, like, love that, um, that, look, La Carlotta, like, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but he says, like, she, you know, she rags to riches, like, made it here, and she did so, and she's got powerful friends, and she's got her network, and, like, good for fucking her. (laughs) She's calling in some favors. She is, you know, her net worth is her network. Now- we do get a hole started from the bottom. Now we're here, but it's like shady. Tex cuts yeah. all of that out. Where oh. was your soul, Carlotta, when you danced in the stews of Barcelona? First of all, settle down. But second of all, this Amazing. is character backstory that I love. And Tex said, uh, we simply don't need that. So. so, yeah. But also, we were just talking about this. But Carlotta, yes, this is said in a shady way. But they're like, Carlotta's Rachel Berry from Glee. Because she is pitch perfect. And she sings very exact. She has her technique. She has the range. She is doing everything correctly. She's gone to all the right places. She's sung all the right songs. But right. she's she doesn't have, like, it or whatever. I labeled this as, this sounds kind of like the equivalent of uh, when Celine Dion didn't make it to the Rolling Stone top 100 oh. singers of the generation list. Like, it sounds like she's great. Yeah. In the Eston Copet version, Carlotta is like actually a bad singer. It, it takes an actress of tremendous talent to be able to sing bad, but you can tell she's actually good. Of course, they always cast amazing vocalists in the role of Carlotta in Andrew Lloyd Webber. But your mileage may vary as to whether or not she's like good, good or like people actually like her or think she's cheesy. I mean, Rick even contradicts himself. He in one part says that she can't sing at all, but in another he writes a note that says great but colorless voice or whatever. So it's yeah. like it's clear she is good. She might be not for you, but I read a really good I think like a one shot where it is alluded to that Rick tried to like tutor Carlotta and that's kind of why he has beef with her because she's like I don't need your help but it would also be interesting to explore like obviously Rick gives you the horny energy that you need for like certain roles and like Carlotta simply is like pass she's like first of all I've dated also um I've seen (laughs) right I've seen movies and read books and a voice talking to me from the walls no thanks bye (laughs) Carlotta not coming across as someone who would be susceptible to the things that seem to work for Rick. No, exactly. And so in an iconic move, she's like, fuck this. 
And she's like, she's pissed. And then she opens the door and she sees a hearse. And I just know in my fucking heart that Rick is in the hearse and he has parallel parked outside of her apartment, probably with Caesar pulling the hearse. You know, like, I just know in my heart this is this is a marketing campaign that Rick is doing. No, we're on the same page. I wrote, Rick 100% put the hearse there. I love him, your honor, but I didn't go far enough. He's in the hearse. Exactly. Then, so she takes out her phone and she gets into every one of her group chats, which you know are fire. And she starts texting people, you know, what are you doing tonight? You're going to Faust. I need every single one of my supporters. If there's 100 people in the room, I need 100 of them to be my supporters. I need to make sure that not a single ticket is available for any of, like, Christine's little friends. We're going to go apeshit. Whenever I come on the stage, like, you're going to support me. And everyone's like, girl, we got you. And so everyone comes through. Uh, The managers try to passive-aggressively be like, Carlotta, like, you should probably rest because they, like, fear any conflict, I guess. And she's like, no, 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 no. I will be there. And so then she gets us. No, is this from Rick or from the managers? I think it's from the well, managers. So the first one is delivered by, and is it Remy or Mark? It, it's delivered oh, yeah. Mark by someone who is ex- who's exhausted. He has no health insurance. Yeah, um, she vows. Yeah, she says she vows that if she is at death's door, she will still sing the role of Marguerite that evening. And just we do have time to talk about note number two, which Rick, you're crazy for that one, Rick. You have a cold. If you are sensible, you will see that it would be madness to sing tonight. So Rick is really like, look, like I have now knowing what happens at the end of this chapter, he's like, it doesn't have to be like this. And Carlotta's like, it does. He's like, and he, if you want a street fight, unfortunately, I will bring it. He contains multitudes because horny, but also it's gaslighting. He's telling her she's sick when she's not sick. And that is not women supporting women. No. So anyway, second note, Carlotta's like, whatever, dude. She fires off a a quick couple rapid fire texts. She updates her Instagram story and she gets in her fucking car and goes to work. Uh, well, and she sings a couple little notes just for herself to be like, my voice is fine. Shut up, whoever wrote this. She has the range. And then all her friends are in the audience, which is so funny. And I want to be at this performance, this fictional performance so bad everyone's dressed everyone's like we are gonna show up we're gonna show up for this like high school girl and her high school friends we're gonna bully this child out of here exactly so it says both directors were thinking only of the phantom girl same um the managers are like receiving word of all this chaos i the line so die has friends then Christine Daae famously has no friends. Rick, please stop. You're doing the wrong direct action for Christine. You're isolating her. It's Well, I mean, of course he is, but bro. So they're like, oh, everything's going great. This is amazing. And this is the part in the musical where they're like, same, you know, old audiences, old sets, old singers, and every seat sold, blah, blah, blah. So they're all like, they're fucking vibing. They're having a great time. Meta, metaverse corner i'm imagining the box the, the managers in the box with a giant prosecco from the majestic yes. theater just no like, i'm thinking of that like too idiots. yeah they're like this is fine big like souvenir popcorn they don't give a shit they're like what are you gonna do everything's fine and uh, they they do pause to drunkenly discuss christine Dye's reputation real quick like oh my god 
uh, because she she came up, Philippe came up. One of them says, "Girl, what friends?" and the other points to the box across from them that like just has Raoul and Philippe in them, and is like, "Yeah, Philippe was going so hard on her behalf that if I didn't know that, if everyone didn't know that him and Sorelli were smashing on a regular basis, I would have thought it was uh simply can't go a day without talking about has Christine die fucked right, and it's like also Rick, but upright. I like that. Rallis, shouldn't he be in bed? He looks ill. <laughs> he's just sitting there looking so sick. Bacon. I know he's not like, like, I know it's probably like, oh, like, you know, he was rejected by Christine, blah, 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 blah. And like, he's sad about that. But I like, I do think that like, it is, it's that part of um, this is the end, that insane like Jonah Hill movie where Jonah Hill's just like, so something not chill happened. And it's the graveyard <laughs> scene happened. Um, and he's just like he's not quite the same like he's kind of he's the kid from Stranger Things like after he gets like taken to the underground oh or whatever the upside down not Will Byer yeah he's Will Byer right now and he's just sweaty and like miserable and he's not doing great and like Rick everyone else hands. is <laughs> Rick lays hands upon you and you are immediately transported to the upside down yes so there's a there's a woman who I just imagine is in an enormous black hat kind of you can't see her face like kind of a uh, uh rose dewitt bucator from titanic kind of fit all black she's got her couple friends with her and they're like they're like who's that lady and they're like oh we hired the new the new madame jury this is madame jury too she's gonna be great we just interviewed her and i wanted her you know before she takes over for madame jury i wanted her to like you know have a nice night out see the seats that she's gonna be showing people to which is nice of them um a little condescending but sure and so they gave him, they comped him some seats and she's in the orchestra and they're like, cool, that was very efficient of you. And so they do point those two people out and they're like, wow. And then they go, well, the Phantom's late. Looks like nothing's going to happen. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and then everything's fine and everything's good. Pivot. Who's looking great? <laughs> Christian Daae looked wonderful in male clothes. Really say that. You know, who didn't really say that is Tex. He said she looked charming in male clothes. Just say she looked good. Say she, t say she looked great. Yeah, she looked wonderful yeah. in male clothes. The bloom of her youth and her melancholy grace had an instant impact. So she is, honestly, I hate to say it, it does sound like she looks like Timothy Chalamet. I was going to say her ass is fat, but it sounds like it's more of a Chalamet. Like, she's brooding. She's a brooding, like, little fuckboy right now. And we stand. Um, they, yeah, so La Carlotta has packed, as we know, she packed the house with her supporters. And so the supporters waited for, like, the other kind of, like, gaggle of people to do the same whooping and hollering and carrying on that they've been doing. Uh, but but Coward says that would have been probably inappropriate and also uh, no one said anything. So she just came on stage. Yeah. <laughs> like, that flopped. <laughs> it flopped. And then Larkalada comes out like she's Kramer from Seinfeld and everyone like This is so on. funny. And then they're just like what? screaming. It was so unexpected and so uncalled for that members of the audience not in the know looked at each other and wondered what on earth was going on. Carlotta came through an endgame portal. That's what happened. That's what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, you said she it. She said Christine Daae on your left. 
<laughs> on your no but like not in a supportive way like on your left i'm gonna no. kill you um menacing <laughs> so so people are co- kind of complaining like hey like word on the street is like that you know there's gonna be this like cacophony of christine stands in the audience and they're gonna a rumble yeah there's gonna be a rumble and so they had to like leave <laughs> the managers have to leave box five to go check it out and they're like sure 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 we'll check it out this is annoying and then they come back to their seats and what do they find a box of english chocolates on the armrest threatening parentheses i was gonna say oh i hope he didn't set them out expecting things to be normal no because he's in the walls and has seen at this point that like it's it's not going according to his instructions did i not did he not instruct that box and so from this, can we not infer that he was actually, uh, clearly he was listening in the walls during the meeting with Madame Giri, where she said, the Phantom is so nice. He gets me my lint truffle, but like fancier than that. Yeah. Like, oh my God. We can assume that if things had gone according to plan, he would have left the chocolates for Madame Giri, but he knows that these men know that he would leave chocolates. So he is... He just left chocolates out in a threatening manner. No one's doing it like him. No one's doing it like him. He wants them to know he heard their whole stupid meeting. He has a little Dwayne Reed bag with the chocolates in it. And he's just like, well, I'm not going to be able to give these to her today. So I might as well use them in a threatening manner. Incredible. Uh, And so whatever. So they come back and then they're like, what the fuck? So they leave to be like, hey, did someone put chocolates in here? Like that's we didn't order chocolates. And. No one knew anything. And then they come back and there's a pair of opera glasses. And then it says they looked at each other. And neither felt like laughing. <laughs> He's escalating. He He's is escalating. escalating. Oh, it's so good. I love it. So they sit there and they're distinctly uneasy. And so Carlotta's just singing her ass off. And uh, Christine is starting to sing. And... Oh, boy. It says Christine looked up. Yeah. Christine looked up and saw the Viscount. Vicomte de Chagny in his box. Or thereafter, her voice did not seem to sound as assured, as pure, as crystal clear as usual. Something was masking it, dulling it, though it was unclear what it might be. Underneath it were notes of fear and trembling. Fear. This is so, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen in the movie where, like, uh, the heroine, like, her voice is not strong, she needs to iconic film starring Hilary Duff raise her voice and then she sees her man or whoever out there in the audience and her voice it just kicks in Raul just achieved the opposite of that so great job she sees Raul looking like he's about to pass out and just becomes weak Raul starts crying not in the stanway Philippe is like I am so weary of i can't i can't it's ridiculous i feel like here's the thing though i legitimately think and like i don't love raul as a as a person in the fandom like you know in terms of what team i'm on but i i legitimately think she's nervous because she knows rick will kill this guy on site and i think that's why her voice isn't as strong i don't necessarily think it's like the sight of this childhood friend makes me so not horny that no longer I'm good at singing which I think could be a reading of it but I do legitimately think like I'm sure you know I don't know if Rick has spoken to her about Raul being around or whatever but she wrote that crazy note to him and so 
Oh yeah, no, I just I'm visualizing it in my mind, and I think it's funny that like the reverse triumph happens. But yeah, no, I don't think she she probably was hoping that he would not show up because she doesn't want Rick to kill him. Yeah, um, like I don't know if she I don't so, think she necessarily harbors feelings for him. Like we don't know yet, but I do think that she's like know. I don't want you to die, and Rick will kill you. Someone is harboring feelings, and it is Philippe Comte de Chagny. Oh He's, my um, god! Yeah. And I've got to let you know, none of this is in text. He cut it out. That's crazy. Tex said men. What about the men? He said men's rights matter uh, because Mr. Mr. Philippe is out here being like, I can't believe this little girl is out here making my brother miserable. After he was nice enough to advocate for her. He could not forgive Christine for making Raoul suffer, but he was even less prepared to forgive Raoul for letting Christine make him suffer. <laughs> like, there's so many, the dots are being connected, and I, I sure. He said, artful hussy. Ugh. Philippe said that's an artful hussy, yes. which is not good, but it is very funny to me. And then again, we get another 15 minutes of fucking disc trying to figure out if Christine Daae fucks, which, like, we know, like, proverbially she fucks, but, like, then we get another, like, paragraph so where it's tired. just like, she was a good girl. Everyone said she had no lovers or protectors of any kind. This angel of the North was a sly little minx. I'm so glad you wrote it. Sly little minx. I wrote the North remembers because, um, you know, yeah. I'm scholarly, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just. Sure. Oh, and then I is is it after this that they actually give us the letter that Christine wrote? Yeah. So now they get the letter. I didn't know where it was. Um. Yeah. So then. Christine writes this letter behind the curtain of hands which hid his adolescent tears. Raoul had no thoughts except of the letter he Drag had received him. when he yeah, he had no thoughts. Just full stop. When he had gotten back to Paris where Christine fleeing from Paris like a thief in the night had preceded him. So she fucking peaced out. And she says, "Dear friend of former days, you must be brave and never try to see or talk to me again. If you love me at all, do this for me. Dear Raoul, I will never forget you. Above all, you must stay away from my dressing room. It's more than my life is worth, and yours too. You're Christine. Okay, Christine is doing her her best. Kara, what was she playing? What, when you picture it in your mind, what is she playing as on repeat as she's just like crying She's writing this in purple gel pen, like in her nice handwriting. What's playing? Yeah. Oh, no, of course. So this is um, this is obviously she's writing this while listening to teardrops on my guitar on repeat. Uh, it's just an, an original Taylor jam. You know, we're not at the red stage yet. We're not having mature feelings, but she's very upset. Yeah. I love the specificity of you must stay away from my dressing room. Uh, not naming any names. <laughs> yes. Gotta gotta make sure, you know, just specifically my dressing room is probably where you should not go the most. So this is what this letter is what makes me think that she's kind of upset and she's not serving uh, the most mm. because, you know, she can't she can't lose herself to the music the moment <laughs> if she uh, is worried about her boyfriend dying. She cannot eight mile in this moment. No, exactly. she can't. Exactly. So then La Carlotta, every single time Carlotta enters, it's screaming. It's so funny. Uh, and they still haven't figured out that there's just simply the Christine stands don't exist. Like no one's making an Instagram account with like Christine fan cams. Are the Christine stands in the room with us right, right now? Like, 
I mean, it is because it's you and me, but um, you know who is having a lose yourself moment? It's La Carlotta. It is La Carlotta. It says La Carlotta held nothing back. She gave everything with passion, fire, and wild abandon. Her performance was without restraint or modesty. She had ceased to be Marguerite. She was now Carmen. She's going for it. She's going for it, which I love. Yeah, I love that even though like she is going to have a triumph, like I like that LaRoe is still being very shady to her. So whatever. So she's singing her ass off. At this point, at that exact moment, the awful thing happened. As I said, something dreadful. The audience got to his feet as one. In their box, both directors could not suppress a horrified cry. In the audience, men and women looked around as though to ask their neighbors for an explanation for such an unexpected phenomena. Carlotta's face wore an expression of the deepest anguish. Her eyes looked haunted, mad. The wretched creature drew herself up, her mouth still open, half delivered herself of that sweet, soft melody which has enfolded her, but no melody passed those lips. She did not dare sing another word or note. For that mouth which had been created to make beautiful sounds, that voice which had never failed her, that magnificent instrument which had produced the finest harmonies, the most difficult chords, the smoothest modulations, the fiercest rhythms, a sublime human mechanism which, to be godlike, needed only the final divine spark which alone releases true emotion and lifts the soul. That mouth wow. had opened and let out a toad. Okay, in this point in the text, text does something that listeners I'm simply not capable of. He summarizes it briskly and keeps it moving. Um, I felt really seen by Gaston Leroux and David Coward because they're like, I will not shut up about this. I'm going to give you the point by point details like it's um, a game, a sport, the Super Bowl. It is. Maybe it is some people's Super Bowl. But he's like, Tex says, it sounds like a toad. Let's keep it moving. David Coward said, "Okay," and everybody close your eyes, circular breathing. We're doing, we're going to visualize the toad. No, he like physically describes like a toad waiting to jump. And it's like, sir. He's like, you know what a toad is? No? Well, I'm going to explain it to you anyway. Yeah. Which, I mean, I also love just, like, giving it the space that it needs because it is, like, it's, like, a seminal part of, like, the musical. It's, like, an important part of the... This is, like, the first time we're really seeing, like, we as, like, the people of the opera house are seeing, like, Rick's bullshit. So, like, I like that there's, like, you know, he's doing that, like, climbing suspense to this, like, toad moment. And then I just love the automatopoeia of skark, which is how they skark. describe it. Skark. I'm sure, like, if I had to spell the noise that Carlotta makes in the musical, I probably, I guess, would come close to something like that. You know, okay, now that you said, I am you appreciating know? how much time they spend on it and how much time, how, how you framed it, because, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of theater. Everyone sounds great. I would be so upset, like secondhand upset for the performer, if I went to see someone who I knew had an amazing vocal and they just made a god awful noise. I'd be like, oh my God. Like, but also everyone shook because what the hell? It's a frog. Where is the frog? And it's especially funny because all of Carlotta's friends are in the audience. She didn't mean to do an own goal, but no one does. But yeah, so there's discourse about, and I mean, we're not getting into it. We, (laughs) but like, there is discourse about like, how did Eric do this? You know, in the 2004 movie, we see a little like spray bottle of perf- of like a like a throat spray that she uses, and he swaps it like very like the Grinch stole Christmas. Like he <laughs> picks it up and plops down a new one 
with his stupid hot leather gloved hand. I hate it. Exactly. So in two thousand, in the movie version, we see how he does it. Uh, in the musical yeah. version, he just simply says the word "toad" from his like from up above, and uh, and then this starts happening. We don't, you know, we don't see any sort of change. Like Carlotta doesn't get off the stage or anything like that, so we don't know where that could have happened. Um, I don't know how he did it. It is honestly, it's a stunning achievement in voice throwing. Eric will never get the gold medal that he deserves. We're giving it to him, King, even though this is, you know, an awful thing to do. But it's a stunning achievement. Um, at yeah. one point it says, some some have even died of the shame. I just wrote, everyone settled down. <laughs> yeah, like, you're fine. We'll survive. Um, <laughs> we will rebuild. Yeah, so... She had been and she'd been singing her ass off and now all of a sudden her voice is gone. Um, and, you know, LaRoe makes sure to clarify, you know, this this girl has the range. She, you know, who forgot her high F's in the magic flute in Don Juan where she's hitting that top B flat. Like he's naming notes that she can hit and like the other girls cannot. So it's like there's no way that like she just like overshot it and like is alphabet on Broadway for too long or something like that. Like she's something's wrong. Did you have we gotten to the Venus de Milo bit? Because I screamed at that. Those, if any, who witnessed the monstrous dismemberment of the Venus de Milo must have experienced much the same appalled awe. And at least they saw the blows which removed her arms and could understand how it happened. But this, this skark was incomprehensible. No, what's incomprehensible is the energy. It's like the time that Judd Apatow said that Will Smith could have killed Chris Rock. Like, I once again, I need everybody to settle down. <laughs> like, we're going to survive. It's also what, what is, at least they saw her arms get hacked off. What? what are we doing where are we going let's <laughs> i love that no one reeled him in i like how yeah he was like what's the best metaphor to explain that like we don't know what was happening and why <laughs> so everyone's like freaking out everyone's freaking out she's like she keeps like croaking like a toad she doesn't know what to do she's trying uh the guy who's like the tenor is like just staring at her <laughs> it's a mess and then it says that they were in the direct power of the phantom shaking I'm shaking. They had felt his breath on them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's not not horny the way it's written. I feel like he's saying that they're giving write me down as scared and horny. Like they just don't even know what weighs up. Like it had raised the hair on the back of Montchamon's neck, and Richard had wiped the perspiration from his forehead. Yes, the phantom was there around them, behind them beside them they could sense his presence but could not see him they heard him breathe so close so very close to them <laughs> come on dude like bro no, to recap, he he has terrorized them with chocolates opera glasses and now horny breathing it's that part Oh no! Diverts of madness where Wanda just gets behind the guy. She yeah. materializes behind the guy and is like, "Run!" Um, that's not not Rick. That's what he's doing right now. Oh, it's really good. So anyway, they're freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. They don't know what to do. What What would happen next? What lay around the corner? 
The two directors collapsed onto their chairs and were too drained to turn around, even if they dared, for they could hear the phantom laughing at them. Rick is just laughing his ass off. Like <laughs> It's so good. Um, the laughing is always a very fun part of watching bootlegs of the Phantom of the Opera. Always fun to hear different people doing this laughter. Uh, sometimes they sound very Muppet-like in their delivery. And uh, it's always a great moment in the show. Like, it's great. So he's laughing his ass off. In the musical, we have like several kind of laughing moments. But in this version, I mean, in the in the original text, you know, we just have this. He's laughing his ass off, which I mean, who says the Phantom of the Opera doesn't have a sense of humor? You guys just don't get yeah. it. Uh, and it says, after all this time on their right, on their right, uh, they <laughs> on your left, <laughs> they. They distinctly heard a voice. His impossible <laughs> this is an voice. MCU podcast. <laughs> he dis they distinctly heard a voice. His impossible voice. The voice that had no mouth. What the mouth do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is the best <laughs> podcast. We love it here. No editing. No notes. No editing. No notes. This is gonna be so easy. Um, he goes. <laughs> the way she's singing tonight could well bring down the chandelier. I wrote down bidding of that satanic voice and just started mm. laughing hysterically. Satanic voice. He's LaRoe is just going for it at this point. It's crazy. It is also fun that like, again, in the musical and in the movie of that same musical, like you see him, you kind of like, you can kind of see, I mean, you don't necessarily see him like cutting the ropes to the chandelier but he you can like see him fucking with the chandelier in the movie and in the mu musical but in this whole thing we don't see him at all he's doing all of this from like the walls we have not yet officially met rick you we know our first it. introduction our first introduction was yeah. people are stealing things there's a guy walking around the opera He's an asshole. We know it's not just any asshole. We know that it's Rick. Raul doesn't know what he saw at the graveyard. We've heard him speak, and we've heard other people being shaken by hearing him speak. We've read his letters. It's like, I'm trying to think of an equivalent in the movie where they're like talking about, you know, it's giving Maureen Johnson and Rent a little bit. Like she doesn't even appear till the end mm. of Act One, and then she goes, <laughs> Joanne, which way to the stage? And that's also Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Maureen from Rent is the Phantom of the Opera. They they're both similarly terrorizing. Uh slipping its moorings. The chandelier hurtled down from the lofty heights of the vast auditorium and crashed into the middle of the stalls below. There was a chorus of shouts and screams, panic, a general stampede. It is not my intention to provide a graphic account of a historical moment. Readers who are interested are referred to newspaper reports of the time. Many were injured and one female was killed. The chandelier had fallen directly on the poor woman who had come to the opera that night for the very first time in her life, the very first, the very person Richard had chosen as the new box keeper who would replace Madame Giry, the phantom's own attendant. She died instantly. The next day, one newspaper appeared with this headline, 200,000 kilos land on concierge's head. It is her only epitaph. First of all, it is not my intention to provide a graphic account of a historical moment, yet you gave us five pages on toads. toads. Like, stopped short of going into their place and importance in Jurassic Park. I mean, thank you for that. But, like, he's talking about the toads. What he's not talking about is the horrible graphic scene, which, okay, killed one person, 
that's giving Jack couldn't fit on the door. I'm sorry, I'm going to yeah. need you. The director's cut. Explain that to us. Make it make sense. Also, she died directly of classism because it was classist the way that he, they invited her as a treat and sat yes. her there. And then she fucking died. Like, like part of the chandelier once fell off. I don't know if it killed anyone. But oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. I was reading the footnote. Let, allow me, madame. Yes. Uh, <laughs> footnote corner. So it says, LaRoe's memory of the incident <laughs> may have been faulty, though it was probably to maximize the effect. Oh, yeah. So so the chandelier IRL did not fall. A counterweight to the chandelier that was eight tons ah. fell and smooshed a bunch of people, Oh, including the concierge, apparently. Okay. Well, it's, it's a super funny choice. I mean, funny, dreadful. To have the chandelier be so targeted, like, yeah. so you're expecting us to believe that Rick, big ass Maureen thing. Johnson, Dessler is that skillful that, like, he aimed it like a sniper rifle, like, you just kind of saw the little red dot zeroing in on her, and then the chandelier fell, like. It's, it's so weird. I love it. Yeah, he, like, only killed this one person. It's very bizarre. She is singing to bring down the chandelier, or however it's said in this. That's a dad joke. We gotta say it. It's, it's not giving hilarious. daddy. It's giving it's a dad it's giving joke. dad joke, but it is it is funny. And then you hear the CS CSI Miami. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's David Crusoe at this point. We did it. We got through the chapter. Um even though I did not earn my treat, just at the end, like I thought we would check it. Okay. We didn't mention this at the top because we live in the US. I don't know where our listeners are from. Um, a very special, exciting thing. We're so happy for you, UK fans. Noted great phantom among people who follow this closely. Earl Carpenter is returning to the West End. So um I don't know if we can endorse people to watch bootlegs i'm just gonna say that if you did google earl carpenter phantom you know, you know some stuff might come up for you but um anyone who has the chance to go see him he's he's really really great so i'm just <laughs> i'm excited for you uk fans because your show is not closing and you're getting yeah there's a lot of changes happening to the west end also as we've already spoken on you guys get nice cocktails at your at your showing so enjoy those and i will be sipping my sprite at the majestic theater a couple more times before this closes oh and shout out as of the time of recording this we've put a couple episodes out we will be putting another yes. episode out today thank you so much to who all is listening who all has shared um yes. it's just it this was such a goofy we're just yelling into the uh, void yeah we're truly just unfortunately we do this already so we said what if we read the book and simply recorded it so um thank you so much for listening and to those of you who enjoyed it i am so glad that you are enjoying it all right team godspeed and uh don't sit directly under a chandelier you can sit one seat to the left one seat to the right but yeah. do not sit exactly directly under the chandelier and you know always always check those construction permits before you go to the a c t p b i'm done we're done <laughs> what was that gonna stand for <laughs> always <laughs> well you know always, always abc always be closing always be closing you know. always be chandelier checking
<laughs> we're done. ABCC. We gotta go. We gotta go. It's over. We're done. Oh my god. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.